One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Basha and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. Sometimes a story just stops you in your tracks and for me that was the case with Child Q. The story of a young black girl who was stripped and searched at her school by police while she was on her period. It was a totally shocking incident, but it also raises so many other questions. And so today I'm handing over to my colleagues Patricia Clark and Claudia Williams, who have been investigating the number of children strip searched by police across the UK. In today's episode, they ask how many other child cues are out there? I did not feel safe. I didn't feel like it was for my benefit. It's it's not something that you can bounce back from. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Swansea, and if I'm honest, I'm nervous. I'm here to meet a young woman called Georgia Wood. Georgia and I have been talking over Facebook and over the phone for the past month or so, and today she's finally going to tell me her story. It's a story that I know will be tough to hear, but tougher for her to tell. Probably doesn't help that Georgia and I are sitting in a gloomy room. It's trying to be a nice day outside, but there's a black curtain draped over the windows. A not quite successful attempt to dampen the noise of the traffic outside. I might be nervous, but Georgia is warm and chatty. She's telling me about her childhood. I was the girl that was always covered in dirt and hay and climbing trees and falling out of trees and constantly looked a bit of a mess. But I was always happy running around covered in dirt, playing with my animals. Georgia grew up in Pontadawe, a small town in the Swansea Valley in Wales. She was mainly brought up by her mum and a lot of their time was spent on a shared hobby, horse riding. The stables are in a in a quarry, in a disused quarry. So it was almost like being in a little bit of a fishbowl. So you'd kind of look down towards the stables and it was in like a horseshoe shape. And every year when it snowed, it always used to snow more up there because it was on top of a mountain. So every year we'd get amazing snow. And I just remember playing in the snow a lot when I was a child. Her childhood sounds idyllic. Mountains and horses and climbing trees. But one day, it all changed. I felt like I had to calm my mum down. Because I could see how anxious she was. I could see how upset she was getting. And I didn't want her to feel like that. 
But looking back, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And had I known, I don't think I would have been as willing to get in that car as what I was. I came to Swansea to talk to Georgia because of a story that broke in March of this year. The Metropolitan Police have apologised after a 15-year-old black girl was strip-searched at her school by police officers. This was Child Q, a name given to the young girl to protect her identity. She was on her period, which is another distressing element for her of the strip-search. The reason that was given at the time was that she was suspected of carrying cannabis. She wasn't. Ever since her story emerged, I've been trying to understand whether strip-searches of young people of children, really, have become a common part of policing. And if they have, how on earth has that happened? You might remember the story of Child Q. This was a young black girl stripped naked in front of two police officers while on her period in a school in East London. She was made to bend over, spread her legs and use her hands to spread her buttocks whilst coughing. The official report into this incident concluded that racism was a likely factor and pointed to serious wrongdoing from the police and the school. But part of what puzzled me was the data. As the media frenzy around the story grew, I started to see numbers flying around, and some of them were shocking. Thousands of children strip-searched by the police every year, and those were only partial figures. I was left with so many questions. I'm Patricia Clark, and in this slow newscast from Tortoise, stripped, searched, traumatised, I want to know... How many other child cues are there? Why are the police strip-searching children? And was child cue an extreme mistake or an example of modern policing? It's April 2009, and Georgia Wood is 12 years old. It was just an average day, you know, I'd gone about my daily life. I'd done the horses, we'd ridden... Um, spent time with my mum. It was just an average day. It was nothing out of the ordinary, nothing that had been any different about it. I've seen pictures of Georgia at this age. She's tall and a bit lanky, and you can tell she's still settling into her growing body. She's got long hair that she hides behind, and she's never far from one of her horses. On the day she's describing, she's in the car with her mum. They've just been to the supermarket and they're on their way back to the farm where they live when they're pulled over by the police. As I opened the door to get out, a police officer shut the door and said, oh, can you stay there for a second? And kind of looked up and thought, oh, right, OK. And I think there was two police officers that we could see at the time. I think they said something about pulling us over, about a light being out of the back or something like that. It wasn't for what we eventually found out it was. Georgia and her mum would later find out that her mum's new business partner was involved in a multi-million pound drug smuggling operation. But they didn't know that then. The officers who stopped them just said that there was a problem with their car. The police searched the vehicle and then told them that they were going to be taken to the police station, separately. And I remember my mum kicking up a fuss and I said, no, mum, it's fine. I remember saying, it's fine. Like, I, I'm okay. Like, I'll be fine, we'll, I'll see you at the police station. So we went in separate cars. I went with two officers and she obviously went in a separate car. They 
put the lights on for us to go to the police station. Because I remember asking the question, so are the lights on? Like, this is so cool. And they were like, yeah, the lights are on. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is so fun. Like, I can't wait to tell my friends when I get back to school. Like, I've been in the back of a police car. How fun is that? When Georgia tells me this, I find it kind of painful. Sometimes, when she remembers this period of her life, she sounds quite grown up. Other times, it's so clear she's just a kid. Georgia chatted away to the police in the car. She told them she wanted to be a police officer when she grew up. But she says the mood changed when she arrived at the station. And when we got to the police station, they said, right, we're going to strip search you. And I was just kind of like, oh, OK. Did you even know what that sort of meant? No, no, I had no idea. Not a clue. Georgia was taken into a room by two female police officers. She wasn't offered an appropriate adult. But we'll come back to appropriate adults later. My mum was devastated. She really was. I remember her being frantic in the police station, shouting, screaming. I think she was restrained at one point. And as a 12-year-old child, you just kind of stand there and think, "I, I don't know what to do. So you take the direction of the adult who is the police officer and who says, come with me and I will search you. And you just go, oh, okay. And you just kind of go along with it because you are only a child at 12. And even though you think you're mature, you most certainly are not. Georgia later found out that one female police officer expressed concerns about the strip search. But it went ahead anyway. Georgia was taken on her own to a room with two female police officers. She still remembers what she was wearing jogging bottoms and wellies. It was shoes off first, which was the wellies. The bottom half, trousers off, passed to the side. Knickers dropped. They looked back on. Top half uh, off, passed to the side. Uh, bra off, passed to the side, and they just kind of checked it to the side. And then it was patted down the front just to make sure that there was nothing stuck that they couldn't see because I was facing the wall away from them. Georgia remembers seeing hay fall out of her wellies and feeling embarrassed. She didn't want them to think she didn't wash. I felt kind of numb. I, I don't remember feeling scared or worried. I just kind of felt like I wasn't really there. It was only after that it happened that I felt any emotion and it kind of hit me, but as I was going through it, I just... Yeah, nothing. I I can't remember feeling anything until afterwards, but during that time, it was just... My body was just doing as it was told and my brain was just kind of letting me go on with it. it. Yeah, it didn't hit until until I got home and a, few, a couple of days later when the nightmare started, that I'd started to feel something. I think it, it was just a, such a surreal experience. Georgia's strip search was 13 years ago. When she tells me what happened, you can hear the tension in her voice. And I could see it in her hands too. I keep having to remind myself that the person who was searched is the one in the photographs. The little girl riding a horse. 
and not the 25-year-old sitting in front of me in this pokey hotel room. Speaking to Georgia helped me understand how a strip search might happen in practice, but I couldn't quite get my head around why it happens, or how often. My name's Katrina French, and I'm the founding director of Unjust, a non-profit organisation that focuses on addressing racial discrimination in policing and the criminal justice system. Katrina has been working to address racial discrimination in policing for years. She's helping me to understand the different types of strip search that can happen. So there's more thorough searches and then there's intimate searches. The type of strip search Georgia experienced is a search involving the exposure of intimate parts of the body. It's one of the most intrusive searches out there, and it's the same type of search that happened to Child Q. There's also another kind of strip search, called a more thorough search, which stops the stage before this and ends with a person in their underwear. Both kinds can happen in police custody after an arrest, but they can also happen before an arrest. In other words, a routine stop and search on the street can become a strip search. Examples are officers are walking down the street and they see a group of young people and uh, somebody puts something in their waist area. They may feel that this person has is hiding, concealing a weapon or potentially concealing drugs and may decide that they would like to, to search them in a more far away. Ideally, if they're going to ask for anything other than the removal of outer coat wear, that needs to be done in the police station. And if they ask for you to remove your outer coat, it has to be done out of public view. But what we've heard is there's children that have had their trousers pulled down in a police van. These are really extreme policing powers. So when and why might it be appropriate to do this to a child? I'll tell you now, most, most police officers I, I work with, hated, I hated doing strip searches. I didn't like doing them at all. It's not something you want to do. You don't choose to go to work one day and I'm going to find somebody to strip search today because it's, it, it's not an enjoyable experience for anybody. Graham Wetton was a frontline metropolitan police officer for 30 years until 2010. He now teaches prospective police recruits. Stop and search and strip searching are essential in policing. People sadly hide stuff on them, they secrete stuff on them. As soon as you tell somebody that the police can only search to a certain degree, guess where they're going to hide their stuff? They're going to hide it where they know the police can't search ordinarily on the street. And they know it's then difficult for the officers to conduct a more thorough search on them. Both drug crime and knife crime are on the rise across the UK. And they have been for five years. From Graham's perspective, and from that of other police officers I've spoken to, the requirement for strip search powers is simple. The police need to protect the public from harm, and dangerous criminals, including children, sometimes conceal weapons or drugs on their person. But more than protecting the public, says Graham, it's also about protecting the individual who is being searched. What if they're concealing a weapon or a drug that they might use to harm themselves? Or what if, in the case of children, They've been coerced into carrying an illegal item. It's well known that drug dealers sometimes exploit vulnerable adults and children. For that reason, Graham sees the media controversy that's arisen around Child Q and the increased calls to re-examine child strip searches as disproportionate. Personally, I think that's, speaking from a policing background, I think that's a knee-jerk reaction to one incident. I think think we need to look at what happened on this one single incident. Um, You don't change the whole process because of one incident that's taken place that may have been either a poor judgment or poor errors of of, um, decision-making. I've spoken to dozens of experts over the course of reporting this story, 
former police officers, people connected to Child Q's school, local parents, lawyers, activists, politicians. Everybody has condemned what happened to Child Q. I also know Georgia experienced something similar 13 years ago. She was also a child with no real understanding of what was about to happen to her and nobody was there to help her. So, are Georgia and Child Q really outliers? Here's Katrina again. I think we have to unpick what we mean by an outlier. Children are being strip searched, so that isn't that that's a fact that isn't a kind of anomaly in itself. Maybe the difference was that children aren't being strip searched on their period. So I'd like to think that that's the outlier aspect of this. But when we look at the statistics, we know that there were 35 children under the age of 12 strip searched by the Met Police in between 2016 and 2021. That doesn't seem to me to seem like an outlier. It seems like there's a systemic issue here about how strip search is being being used. So if we're not recording things properly, who knows what's been going on without our knowledge. The data for London that Katrina mentions paints a complicated picture about strip searches, and the UK-wide data is patchy at best. But we do know that strip searches are increasing. We sent out freedom of information requests to all 45 police forces in the UK, asking them how many children they have strip searched over the past five years, and asking for specific details about age, gender, race and the type of search. Out of everything we requested, I'm most intrigued by the pre-arrest figures. How many strip searches happen off the back of stop and search every year? And how many of those involve a child exposing their genitals to strangers? Even while I wait for the police forces to respond to our request, there's some trends we can analyse from the data we already have. I'm Neve Eastwood. I'm Executive Director of Release, and Release is the UK's Centre of Expertise on Drugs and Drug Laws. Neve and her team provide services to people who use drugs and to people who are affected by drugs laws. They've spent years researching this area of policing. Part of that has meant requesting data from police forces about stop and search and strip searches. You know, just for example, last year there were 700,000 stop searches, nearly 700,000 stop searches across England and Wales. And almost 70% of those, 69%, were for drugs. And when we talk about drugs, it's possession of drugs and it's mainly possession of cannabis. Although the numbers are not the same for strip search, if a police officer after a stop search determines that it is then necessary, the test is one of necessity, to carry out a strip search because nothing has been found after a physical pat-down, they can do that without any other requirement except their judgment it is necessary to detain this person and then take them either to a police station or a designated area. The rhetoric around stop and search will generally and strip searches in particular, is often about serious crime prevention. It's about keeping drugs and weapons off the street and reducing violence. But Child Q's search happened because they suspected she smelt of cannabis. Even the IOPC, the official police watchdog, has said using the smell of cannabis as a single ground for stop and search is not good practice. And yet, according to releases data... As many as 60% of stop and searches are for cannabis. It also suggests that, in 2019, 90% of strip searches on people of all ages were for drugs, not weapons. Their data also tells us who is being searched. The research that we've done at release shows that black people 
and in particular young black men, are the focus of drugs policing and policing generally. And they feel that they are over-policed. Our statistics show that, that if you are black, you are nine times more likely to be stopped for drugs compared to the white population. And that's despite the fact government figures show that drug use is lower amongst the black population than the white population. So that idea that, that crime is more centred amongst the black community, which I don't hold with, that idea can be easily disputed when we look at drugs policing. Easily disputed. This racial disparity appears clearly in strip search data. According to data provided to us by the Met Police, half of more thorough, intimate parts exposed strip searches in London were on black people, even though they only make up about 13% of the London population. For Graham and other former police officers I spoke to, there's a clear explanation for that. So when you look at the numbers, who is more likely to be stabbed on the street, who is more likely to be a a suspect, then in many parts of London, it is young black males. So they are going to be stopped and searched um, because they are the ones who are either being victims of the crime or committing the crime, sadly. Graham's putting forward a fairly common police perspective. In fact, it's the same explanation that the Met gave in a statement when we asked them. For decades, experts have argued that stop and search legitimises racial profiling. As far back as 1999, an official inquiry following the death of Stephen Lawrence called it a tool for racist stereotyping. I asked Graham whether he acknowledged racial profiling might play a part in strip searches of children, and in particular, whether something called adultification might be at play. Yeah, I think there's some truth in that. You know, I've policed um, throughout London in my career, um, predominantly South London, large portion of, of a large-scale black community in many areas I policed. I think they are a bit more streetwise and savvy on, uh, than, than some white kids. I think it's, it's evening out, but in my experience, that definitely was the case. Um, are they treated slightly differently? Possibly, but I think, again, they're treated because of how they are, not because of... When I was policing, I didn't treat someone according to the colour of their skin. I treated them for how they presented themselves to me. Um, and, and, you know, you assess the person in front of you. So I wasn't assessing skin colours as such. I was assessing, really, how streetwise and savvy they appeared to me. So I wasn't taking account of their age, or, or I thought their, their age might be, or their ethnicity. It was really how they're talking to me and how they're approaching me. I have to admit that Graham's response shocked me. I asked him what he made of what a number of black children have told me while reporting this story. There were kids, black kids under 18 there, and they were saying that they felt frustrated. They felt like they were held to a different standard than their white counterparts. Can, can you see how how that might sort of put their backs up? They, they might feel frustrated at the, the notion that, that they're more street savvy when actually they feel like, well, we're just kids as well. Yeah, but I, th- I think that's, that's almost that comes from society. I think society puts that onus on them. Not, this doesn't down to the policing. I think society puts an onus on um, some black kids to to grow up quicker, to be a bit more streetwise, and to almost like you know achieve high. And I think that's society issues. The IOPC, the police watchdog I mentioned earlier, has called for changes to be made in the way stop and search is used disproportionately on people from black, Asian, and other ethnic minority backgrounds. The stereotyping Graham just described sounds a lot like the type of policing that they're trying to change. Katrina is clear on the impact. In terms of what it means for the child, so this concept of, you know, the lower threshold of black children and police looking at them in a different light, it isn't just in the moment, it isn't just for that stop. I think it has greater repercussions 
for the the child involved outside of that police and interaction that will never be captured by any police statistic. Graham disagrees that this is racial profiling. He says it's the result of intelligence-led policing. And on the wider point of children being strip-searched, he said we were looking at it the wrong way. According to Graham, not all under-18s should be thought of as children. Yeah, I love this term children because, honestly, you deal with some 16, 17-year-olds and they are more adult than some adults. And it comes down to dealing with the person in front of you at the time. Age is a number for me. Um, and we say this throughout life, you know, age is just a number. Yet we come to like 18 and it's almost like it's a magical barrier that, that police shouldn't be able to do stuff to anybody under 18. There are some 17-year-olds that are, that are you know, more powerful, stronger, more streetwise um, and committing ser- really serious offences. 15-year-olds the same. The age profile is getting lower and lower of people committing fairly serious offences. Of course, young people do commit crimes and sometimes really violent ones. But the age of criminal responsibility, the age that you can be strip-searched in England, Northern Ireland and Wales, is 10. In Scotland, it's 12. That's really young. Graham's right that strip-searches on children who are younger are rarer. But that's not really my point. It doesn't really matter whether you think a young person acts older than their age. We have laws in place to differentiate between adults and anyone under 18 specifically to protect them and their human rights based on their age. That's what makes this question of reasonable grounds so difficult. When is it reasonable to strip search a child when it might have a life-changing impact on them? Three out of four times, nothing is found during a routine stop and search. Releases data suggests that over half of strip searches lead to no further action. To Neve, it's about proportion. Is what you're going to find during a strip search more harmful than the search itself? The level of trauma that is involved in that is just so damaging. And all you're doing is setting up that child for the potential of more harm to them, the the more likely to become involved in criminality, more likely to be involved in drugs to deal with the trauma. we, We know that drug dependency is a byproduct of uh, people experiencing adverse childhood experiences and, you know, arguably a strip search, being forced to remove your clothes as a child in the presence of two strangers um, is totally, totally unacceptable. So when police officers say we need to do this in order to protect these children, I, I, I just I don't see that as a legitimate argument. I think that is a, a totally false flag in this. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Temi, and I'm the executive director of The Forefront Project. This is Temi Marlowe. She's the founder of Forefront, a youth organisation founded in 2012 and based in Graham Park Estate in northwest London. Yeah, Forefront was set up 10 years ago this year, and we work with a range of young people in terms of age, from around 13 to even 25 and, and upwards. While I've been reporting on this story... Nearly everyone I've spoken to who works on youth strip searches in London has told me one thing. Speak to Forefront. They help young people who have experienced trauma, violence and racial injustice. And part of that work includes acting as appropriate adults for young people who come into contact with the police. So an appropriate adult is not just in relation to strip search. It's a necessary role when a child or vulnerable person is arrested and in the custody of the police, especially in a police station, but not solely, but mainly, to ensure that that child or vulnerable person understands their rights, what is happening, the whole process. If a child is strip searched, then an appropriate adult must be present, unless there is an urgent reason otherwise, or the child states they don't want one there. The same is true for strip searches that happen as a result of stop and search. Although many people I've spoken to, including the CEO of the National Appropriate Adult Network, have questioned how often appropriate adults are called in for these kinds of searches. One 2013 study found an appropriate adult was not present in almost half of strip searches of children. Remember, Georgia didn't have one, nor did Child Q. Tammy has been an appropriate adult for lots of young people. But the first time it involved a strip search is etched on her memory. That was in 2019. It was quite a small room. There were three men. Um, and, yeah, the three, they were kind of facing one way and the child was opposite them, looking at them. And they kind of just give their orders. And I was in the corner, maybe on the 
the child's left side. Also at the time, first of all, facing the officers, but then I turned around to face the kind of corner between the wall and the door. The boy had asked her to be there with him, but he didn't want her to look for the second half of the strip search when he exposed his penis. She later found out that the police should make sure an appropriate adult is the same gender as the child. Something that struck me as well, just, I mean, from what I remember, was this boy had so many layers, you know. He had his big a puffer coat and he had like a jumper and then he had another hoodie and then he had a T-shirt. So as he was taking off like item by item, I just remember thinking he just looked so much smaller. Then when he had all these layers on, he looked a little bit bigger, you know. And I guess what I remember all these years later is just how kind of he had quite thin arms and he, 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 just, he just looked like a boy because he is a boy. To me, I could sense the emotion. It was very uncomfortable for him and a bit of powerlessness because, you know, he's being ordered by these men to take off his clothes, off his own back. He would not be choosing to do that in that situation. So that kind of, yeah, the, the force, being forced to do that wasn't lost on me, that that was very much part of the, the energy of the room. The majority of Forefront staff members and the young people they support have been strip-searched more than once. And since that time where I became, I guess, first aware of it in a more formal sense, there's been a number of occasions that we've had to go and support people in the police station, but then also that people, young people that we support and other people in the community have shared with us their experience of strip-search. And in our small geographical area, the extent how often it's used, how frequently and how many children and young people have actually experienced it, some of them multiple times, is shocking. Temi says it's impossible to remove the issue of strip searching from the broader context of people's confidence in the police, particularly when it comes to young people of colour in London, and especially black boys. Strip search powers are just one of many ways that trust in the police is eroded, she says. What impact do you think this kind of policing has on on the people you've seen? How do you think that a strip search changes their relationship with the police? I would say that it doesn't necessarily change their relationship with the police because often the people that are being treated in this way already have experience of being treated in this way by the police. A strip search is just one tool that is being used. Underneath it, Again, it's the control, it's the power, it's the systemic racism, which is always there and underpins and cannot be removed. It's the culture of violence and domination that's inherent within that system. So all of that is there, whatever tools they choose. George's experience of being strip-searched as a young girl is noticeably different to the young people Temi is talking about. She's white, she's living in rural Wales, and her only contact with the police prior to that day was in a classroom at school. The search changed her relationship with the police forever. Yeah. Yeah, for for a 12-year-old to be taken away from her mum. By, I think it was trust, you know. I'd always been brought up to trust the police. The police are someone or people that are put there to protect you. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. And I suppose that day... It all kind of changed. 
that even though you haven't done anything wrong, you do still have something to fear just because they might think you've done something wrong even though you haven't. It, it almost seemed like a vendetta at the end of it. Looking back, it's like they wanted to find something on you. They wanted to find something that would incriminate you or make you feel guilty or make you guilty because that was the image that they had of you painted in their heads. We've spoken to a handful of people who were strip-searched for this story and read dozens more accounts. There's one thing they all have in common. Trauma. In fact, the IOPC report I mentioned earlier details the long-term traumatic impact that stop-and-search alone can have on young people and their ongoing relationship with the police. Georgia didn't realise how much the search had affected her until years after the event. I feel like my anxiety, my panic attacks that I had when I was younger kind of all started when the searches happened and my life was turned upside down. You know, I was always a happy-go-lucky kid. After the searches and after the the, the court case, I'd kind of... I was a lot, un, uh, I was very unsure of myself and my anxiety and I, I didn't know what a panic attack was. I'd had them a few times and I didn't know what they were. Um, I just thought I'd cried so much that it, it was a part of crying that I'd never known that there was. No drugs were ever found on Georgia or her mother and they took the police to court. Eventually, she and her mum received an apology from South Wales Police who admitted that there should have been an appropriate adult with Georgia. Two officers received management training, and Georgia was awarded £17,000 in compensation. And do you think it can ever be appropriate for the police to to strip such an under-18? No, there's, there's no need. There's absolutely no need. I understand there are bad people in the world... And I do get that, that not everybody is who they say they are. But the effects of strip searching a child, it's its not something that you can bounce back from. I suppose it's still horrible as an adult, but as a child it has really affected my life. And I dread to think of how childcare was affected in this. George has found it difficult to deal with the media attention on the Child Q case. And has this being in the media affected you? It did, yeah, because you kind of... You kind of leave things in the past, or you want to leave things in the past, and you want to move on with your life, and then it gets brought up, and then it brings all the old feelings up, and you kind of start reliving what happened to you, trying to relate... And I don't, it, it's not something that you ever forget. It's just something that you kind of deal with and you move on with your life. And then all the feelings are brought to the surface. You can kind of bury them under so many happy memories, but it's always there. And I know you mentioned when you found out about this case, you said, oh, you know, it's happened again. But from the data that we've been looking at, this happens to thousands of children every year. How does that make you feel? I didn't realise it was that bad. 
I really didn't realise it was that bad. I thought I was one of few, one of a handful, maybe. I really didn't realise it was that, that amount. And it's not reported on. Not, it's not a spoken about topic. I started this investigation wondering whether the case of Child Q was a one-off. A specific set of failings from teachers and individual police officers. There's no doubt that, on one level, it was all of these things. When her story became public, Child Q's school issued a formal apology. So did the Met. Two of the five police officers involved were put on desk duties, and an investigation into their conduct is ongoing. But everything I've learnt during my investigation suggests that Child Q is not alone. I can be confident when I tell Georgia that something similar has happened to thousands of children. From the London data alone, we know nearly 9,000 children were strip-searched over the three years to 2021. And I can be confident when I say this disproportionately affects children of colour, black children in particular. If anything, Georgia is the outlier. But, much to my own frustration, I can't be more specific than that. Not every police force replied to my request for data, but nearly all of those that did said some version of the same thing. The data we requested isn't retrievable because it's not collected in a searchable format. This means that the information might technically be on record, but it will be hidden away in a note in a police report. This is especially true for strip searches that happen before an arrest. In those cases, many police forces admitted that they don't collect that data at all. So... We don't know how often this happens across the UK. The Met Police, for all its criticisms at the moment, is ahead of the game when it comes to providing data on this. But their data isn't exactly clear. When their officers searched Child Q, they asked her to expose her genitals, bend over and cough. But as the incident happened out of custody, it was recorded as an other search, not a strip search. We've been back and forth with the Met Police over this, and they say an other search can also refer to a search where intimate parts are exposed. According to them, this doesn't mean that Child Q's search went uncounted. But other experts we've spoken to don't recognise the term other search, and frankly, it doesn't seem like a particularly precise way of recording such an extreme and intrusive power. No records were made of George's search either, In fact, many of the experts we spoke to, including a former borough commander, said that strip searches that happen off the back of stop and search are not systematically recorded at all. In a statement, the policing minister, Kit Mothouse, said the law is clear that strip search must be fair and respectful. Absolutely nobody should be strip searched because of their race or age, the statement said. Collecting better data on different types of strip searches and their outcomes, and disaggregating that data by age, race and gender would be an important start. But really, behind all of this, the numbers, the policy, the bureaucracy, are children. Children who are traumatised. Even 13 years on, Georgia struggles to be alone in a room with strangers. She rejects the idea that a strip search was the best way to protect her. Safety. That's what I think this story comes down to. What does it mean to keep a child safe, to have their best interest at heart? 
We know that alternatives to strip searches exist. Sniffer dogs, body scanners, custody supervision. I'm not saying that these are easy solutions, but surely stripping thousands of children naked in front of strangers isn't the answer. I did not feel safe. I didn't feel like it was for my benefit. You say it's to safeguard the child, yet you are doing more damage than what can ever be undone. This episode of the Slow Newscast was written and reported by me, Patricia Clark, and Claudia Williams, who was also the producer. The sound designer was Tom Birchall, and the editor was Jasper Corbett. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast. But before you go, I want to tell you about a new six-part series that we're releasing at Tortoise. It's called London Grad, and it's investigating how the Lebedev family partied their way to power in the UK. To get early ad-free access to the first three episodes, which are out now, or if you just want to get more involved in our journalism, you can join us as a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50. That's B-A-S-I-A-5-0. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. 